And as you're doing that, if you have your Bible or access to the scriptures, go ahead and find your way to Jeremiah 29. It's in the Old Testament. So this morning we're just going to take, we, we finished our series last week on sin, and so now we have this week just kind of one standalone message. This is really important. I've been looking forward to this day for quite some time. And um, this morning we're going to talk about something that will kind of set the course for here through Easter. Easter comes up uh, on April 16th, and uh, kind of our focus for what we want to do and what we want to see God do in our city. And so this morning I'm going to talk about loving our city. Um, and this is important for us because... Uh, whether you and I know it or not, this is kind of the, sometimes the challenge that we face. We are convinced that we pick where we live. You pick the house or the apartment that you rent or you buy. You pick the city that you live in. But when you, when you take a step back and you realize that God works in all things, that whether you believe it or not, you live where you live, you work where you work, because God has chosen that place for you. Now, the reason we know that's true is listen to what Paul said in Acts 17, verses 26 and 27. We'll get to Jeremiah 29 in just a moment. But he says this, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, or all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, that he is actually not far from each one of us. Where you live, where you work, where you have relationship, the place that you are, God has chosen for you in this season of life for one specific purpose, for you and for everyone around you, that you would feel your way towards God and find him. God has orchestrated everything. God does that because he loves people and he loves us and he positions you in a place not only for you to find God, but for other people to find God through you. So whether you, this for some of you, like, this is great news because you live where you want to live, you work where you want to work, you live in the house that you want to be in, you're like, thank God. Some of you are like, this is horrible news. I don't want to live where I'm living right now. It's the last place that I want to live. I want to live somewhere else. But whether you like where you live or you don't like where you live, God has placed you there for his purpose in you and through you in your city. Whether it be Simi Valley or Moore Park or Thousand Oaks or Fillmore or out in San Fernando Valley, God has placed you there for a reason that he wants to work through your life and so this morning i want to talk about loving our city when i use the phrase loving our city i'm not necessarily talking about an emotion or a passion that you feel about the city that you live in although some people have that but i'm talking about a practical reality that makes a decision that i'm going to choose to love the context that god has placed me in to love the people around me to value what goes on in the city in the community in the neighborhood around me because god has placed me here for a reason for a purpose and if we understand that, then we know that God has done this on purpose. And sometimes I think that we, we fall into the lie that I'm here for a time. I'm just doing my time until I get out of here. I, I got my fire insurance. I came to know Jesus. I'm going to go to heaven. So this world is evil. It's, it's going away. So I just hang on for dear life in God's grace. Then Jesus comes back or I die and I get to go to be in heaven. And some, somehow that's the sum total of our life. That has never been the sum total of God's people's lives. Never, ever, ever throughout Scripture. In fact, that's why I have you in Jeremiah 29 this morning, because there's a group of people that God addressed some very important words to that I want us to take a look at this morning. In fact, most of you, if you're familiar with the scriptures, maybe even a lot of you would say Jeremiah 29 is familiar to you because we always go Jeremiah 29, 11. It's our life verse, right? But I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans what to prosper, to give you hope in a future, and all those wonderful things. We always love that, and we always love it because we take verse 11, but we forget there are 10 verses that come before that, and a few verses that come after that. It's called context. 
We love to rip it out because, oh, I want that promise, but we don't know what's all around it. And what's all around it is as important, if not more important, than what's in verse 11. So if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and if you to make sure you're there in, in uh, Jeremiah 29. I'm going to jump in at verse 4 to give you some context. So God's people have been exiled, which means they have lost the land that God gave them. Because of their repeated disobedience and walking away from the Lord, God uses Babylon to remove them from their land, and they are exiled. Now they are basically, they're foreigners. They're in a foreign country. They're no longer in their homeland. They've lost that. And so now they find themselves, and you think at that point, God would say, okay, well, you're done. You had your shot. You messed up. It's all over. But God doesn't work that way with his people. So he sends a letter through the prophet Jeremiah to his people to instruct them how to live in exile, how to live when you're not in your homeland, how to live in a context that's foreign to you. And what he says is very interesting. So starting in verse 4, this is the letter. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its, wel- in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prof- prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Verse 10, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations of all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. There's a whole lot going on there. That you and I have to understand. And it has to do with the context that you live in. And it's important for us to see this. So what I want to look at this morning is this understanding that God has called us to not only live in the city that we live in, but he's called us to love the city that we live in. It's not enough to just live where you live and just exist. God's placed you there because he wants you, as he does, he wants you to love the city the way he loves the city. God actually loved Babylon. God loved a a foreign country, an enemy of Israel, because God loves people. So he told his people who were there that if you make it flourish, then you will flourish. But if you choose to not make it flourish, you won't flourish. And that's true for us today in the way that we view the context in which we live. So there's a few things I want to walk through. How do you and I actually live in and love the city that we live in? How do we actually love the city around us? Walking through this passage, look at verse 4. The first thing is this. Live differently. Not separately, differently. It says in verse 4, Thus says the Lord, the God of of Israel, To all the exiles whom I sent you into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. You are now in a foreign country. You used to be in your homeland. Now you're in a totally different context with a different rhythm of life, with different language and different food and different people, all those things. But you're still my people living in that. So you are living in a foreign country and you will live differently by the nature of who you are. God did not tell them to become Babylonian. He told them to remain to be who they are, but to live in the context that they're in. 
God does not call us to live in a culture and be of that culture. He calls us to live in a culture and be the culture that he sets for us, which is followers of Jesus. Which means our lives are distinctly different than other people. Not separate and not in your face like I'm better than you, but different. And this is one of the things that I know I've been grappling with in my own life because if our life is truly different, then people will see that. Not that we're putting on a show for everybody, but if there's something in the substance of who we are is different, then we will naturally live different than the culture around us that causes people to look at us. Listen to what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. He says, Dear friends, I urge you, as here's a great example again, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which, war, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. I have really been grappling with this in my life. This is as, we, as we're heading towards Easter. If the gospel's true, then why does it make a difference in my life? Let's just be honest. When I compare my life to anybody else in Simi Valley or Moore Park or in the Southern California area, what is different about my life other than the fact I know that I'm saved by God's grace? And that's wonderful. But is my life any different? Is there more of a sense of joy and peace and grace and mercy? Am I kind to people? Am I, am I different to, to the people around me? Or do I just look like and act like the people all around me? If God has called us to be his people in a foreign context, that means we have to live differently in every aspect. And that's hard because you and I live in a prevailing culture that tells us to live a certain way. So just think about in your daily life, what if you lived differently in every aspect? You live not, not to say as an affront to the culture, but counter to the culture because it's the way God's called you to live. The way that you view your finances, you view them differently than the people who live next door to you. Which, for those who don't know Jesus, the goal is to have more money, to have more stuff, so somehow I could be satisfied in life, and we know it never ends well. What if we looked at our money differently? What if we realized that God actually gave us money not to hang on to and not to spend for ourselves, but actually to be generous? What about the most practical thing? What if we actually drove differently in our city? For some of us, that's no big deal. For other of us, you blend right in with the culture with hand gestures and special words and the way that you cut people off. What if you drove differently? What if you thought about the fact that, that you actually let the cross of Jesus come to bear in the way that you drive? Because you live in the context of grace and you love God so much that you actually care about the people who are driving around you. Not just the idiots that are in the traffic around you that can't, won't get out of your way because you can't get home, right? What if you live differently? What if you shopped differently? What if when you're walking through the store and it's crowded, you're not cutting people off with your shopping cart, but you're letting people go in front of you? And you're not grumbling when the line for, you know, 15 items or less has somebody in front of you with 30 items and you're really mad. What if you shop differently? What if you restaurants differently? What if when you're in a restaurant and you really don't like the service that you don't get grumpy with the server because Jesus died for them and who cares if your meal's a little bit cold and late because God loves them more than the food that you're about to eat? What if we live differently? If the gospel's true and Jesus died on the cross for us and we live in a context of grace, we have to live differently. I get a little excited. Kim and I watched uh, Manchester by the Sea last night. One of the most depressing movies that I've ever seen. <laughs> Pretty rough. It's got some rough content in it. But let me tell you, after we sat there and watched that, I was overwhelmed with the sense of this is normal life for most of the people in our country. If you haven't seen the movie, go see the movie. Because the brokenness that you see in that movie, that is normal life. For some of us, this is good news and bad news, but the bad news side of it is that we've lived in the context of grace so long, we forgot what it's like to live outside of that. Where there is no hope, there is no, no change that we're stuck where we're at. 
you know, it's interesting as a church in terms of the location there, we've tried to live this rhythm out. We've tried to live differently. So when we moved into this building, we have sought to build relationships with the businesses around us and try to actually be nice and not just care for ourselves. So many of you know, Genrite, right across the parking lot here, they have a parking problem. They have way more cars than they can fit on their lot. So every week we allow them to park all in the back, back here, because we know that's a problem. We know how important parking is. And we know when we bought the building that the break area for the Genrite employees, their smoke area, was on the steps of our building. So we know that wasn't going to work because that was all going to get reconfigured. So we actually built Genrite a break area. If you've seen it, we think it's for us. It's really for them. It's about three tables outside here. It's their smoke area. We provide that for them. At Christmas time, we buy lunch for all the employees that in the business that we own the building, but Firmionics is next door, so we buy lunch for them. And then we bought lunch for Genrite. We gave them $250 worth of pizza. Why? Because we wanted to, actually, we care about you guys. We love you guys. Even though you mess up our building sometimes and play hockey in the back when you shouldn't, we still love you. It's a demonstration that we actually care about you. You're not just a tenant or, um, or, or another business. You're actually human beings that we value. And thinking through how we live in our neighborhoods, how we live in our cities. The second thing is to live locally. Verse 5, God says through Jeremiah to his people, build houses, live in them, plant gardens, and eat their produce. What is God saying? He says, live with both feet in your city where you're actually at home. You're building a home. You're planting gardens. So you're getting your food and you're getting your housing in this context to actually be a part of the community that you live in, to live locally. Now, I think this is one of the greatest struggles of Simi Valley. We are a commuter community. Majority of people who live in Simi Valley do not work in Simi Valley. You, live, you work, majority of people in this room, you work outside of Simi Valley. So what, this is where you come home and you sleep, but a good part of your life is not spent in this city. So we have to fight against this idea that I'm, my life is really over here even though I go sleep over there. But to actually be home when you're at home, because you've built a home or you're, you're renting a place, this is where you call home. And hopefully this is where you shop, too, and where you get your food. And obviously they would plant. We don't necessarily do that anymore. But thinking about this city as your home in terms of not only the house that you live in or the apartment that you live in, but the city is your home. You've actually set up shop here, that you actually frequent businesses in the city, that this is the place that you call home. So think about your, your rhythm of life. One of the things that I've done over the last about year and a half when I meet people in our community, if I'm sitting down getting a haircut or in a restaurant, I'll ask people this question. What do you think our city lacks? What, what would benefit our city? What if we had this, our city would be a better place? I've had a wide variety of answers, but one of the interesting things that continues to come up, and I think I agree with it, is that we lack a sense of community because we don't have a true hub for our city. The mall does not qualify. It doesn't. And the Regal Center with the food court, that's great, but it doesn't qualify. We don't have a downtown area. We don't. We don't have any historic downtown where people kind of go to. So it's kind of this spread out kind of feeling, but that doesn't mean that we can't experience community. If this truly is our home city, then we should make a conscious decision to frequent businesses and restaurants in our city. Now, for some people, that's no big deal. For other people, like you have specific choices that you like that are not in our city, so you'll drive to go eat and to shop, and then you'll drive home. What if you said, you know what, I'm going to live a little bit differently. I'm actually going to go to restaurants. I'm going to learn to like the food in my city. I'm going to learn to shop at the stores in my city, which, by the way, we pretty much have everything in our city, don't we? I was in Newburgh, Oregon for seven years. We had to drive for everything because it was a small little community. But thinking about the way that we live is that we actually live locally, and we don't live commuter like we work because that's what most of us do. 
but we try to make a decision. Like, I'm not going to go drive across town all the way to the other side of Simi to go to the grocery store when there's one just around the corner from me. Because, you know, when you walk into that store, you know who you're going to run into? You're going to run into people who live around you. You're going to walk in, you're going to bump into people. And it happens all the time. When, when I go to a fast food restaurant or I go to a store that's near our house, nine times out of ten, not exaggerating, we will run into somebody we know or we'll meet somebody new that are right around us locally. Third thing, we live and love our city by, we actually live life. I love what it says in verse six. What is God saying? Take wives, have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply uh, there and do not uh, decrease. Basically he's saying, don't hold your breath. Don't, don't wait like, okay, you know, now is not a good time to really start my life. I'm not gonna have kids, why? Because we're in exile and exile, Babylon's a horrible place. So we're just going to wait it out until finally we go back to our land. We go back to Jerusalem, and then life can start. So right now, we're just putting it on pause. You know, some of us do that, not necessarily because the city we live in, but because we have this mentality that the world that we live in is so evil that I can't bear to bring a child in this world or into this city. I have to wait till I'm in a safer context. Or I just put everything on pause until someday Jesus returns or I die because this world is so evil. Capture what's going on in this. Babylon was an evil place. And what is God saying to his people? Give your sons and daughters in marriage. Actually have kids. Actually live your life in this horrible context called Babylon. I can pretty much say with a bit of confidence Simi Valley is not quite as bad as what Babylon was. It's bad. And if God can say to his people, hey, live your life in Babylon, even though it's the enemy, it's the opposite of what you think life's supposed to be about. I think God can say to those of us who live in Simi Valley or Park or the Valley or Thousand Oaks, God can say, live your life. Don't be afraid. Don't live in a bubble. Don't remove yourself. Can you imagine what it would be like for them to be in exile, to say, you know what, we're not going to do that. We're just going to kind of retreat. We're going to become kind of isolated because these Babylonians are evil people. But what is God saying? He's like, no, live your life. It's one of the greatest challenges of becoming a Christian is over time, you and I become part of the bubble, the bubble of safety, the bubble of people who think like me and act like me, and we're scared to death to get outside of the bubble. Why? Because it's evil outside the bubble. No, I think sometimes there's more evilness inside the bubble than outside the bubble, because we just hide it better than the world does. Jesus had no bubble, by the way. He did not live in a bubble. That's what drove the religious leaders crazy, because Jesus was hanging out with people he shouldn't have been hanging out with. He was a friend of saints? No, sinners. That's who he hung with. That's who he was with. And if you and I understand that we're actually supposed to live our life, then we start to see our city differently. That's why 1 John 4, 4. He who is in us is greater than he that is in the world. The Holy Spirit of God lives in you because Jesus has died on the cross and you've accepted that sacrifice. Then the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you. You, can, you don't have to fear anything. Now, I know there's temptations and there's sins that we get ourselves involved in. And I'm, I'm not saying that if you're an alcoholic, you should go hang out in a bar. But I am saying there is, there is some, there's life outside the bubble that we live in. And part of what our city's dying for is the church to get outside of itself. We have our normal rhythm, and we hang out with church people. We do church activities. And we're living this, this altar culture that God never intended for us to have. It's supposed to be fully integrated. We're supposed to actually live our life. And then the fourth thing, we live and love our city by living peacefully in it. It says, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. 
The word welfare is the word shalom. It's the Hebrew word peace. It's a context of, of God's wellness and flourishing for his people and everything that they touch. That God actually wants there to be welfare and peace in the city that we live in because we live in it. Our city should be different because we live here. It shouldn't be somehow absent or separated or divorced from the fact that Christians live in this city. It should be directly impacted. Why? Because there's a sense of shalom over our lives. That we live in such a way that we bring peace and flourishing to everybody around us. That actually we benefit the city that we live in. Ask yourself this question. If you were to leave this city tomorrow, would it feel your loss? We can say that about a church. If our church packed up tomorrow and left, would, would the city feel the impact? Maybe. It might be a blip on the radar. I don't know. But if you moved out of your neighborhood, if you decided to move, would your neighbors even miss you? Or would they say, thank God that Christian is leaving with their bumper stickers and all their judgment and legalism? No, honestly. Or would they even know that you moved? In our neighborhood right now, we've gotten to know our neighbors quite well. And just this last weekend, one of our neighbors who been there, we've been there for about 10 months now, he was there and he moved. He lived in the house for like 18 years. And so we were outside and someone was talking to one of our neighbors about this move and this transition. And she said, you know, I'm really bummed that Richard's moving. I said, what, why, why are you bummed? And she said, well, you know, where we moved from, we moved from Woodland Hills, and she goes, I lived in an apartment, and I hated everyone that shared walls with me. I'm like, ooh, wow, we're really getting deep here, aren't we? And she goes, when we moved in this neighborhood, we walked and looked around, and we kind of got to know you guys, and we thought, we could live here. And she goes, now my fear is, who in the world's going to move in next door to me now? I'm like, well, let's start praying that God would bring in the right person. Now, I don't even know. She's not a believer. So I'm like, she's like, oh, okay. Well, there's a concept. You can pray for God to do stuff. So we'll pray for God to bring in the right family or person that's going to move into that house. But it was interesting to see she, she felt lost when one of our neighbors was moving. And since we've been in our neighborhood, we've strived to get ourselves out. So we've hosted parties and we did our garage party. And at Christmas time, I made my way all around the neighborhood. Kim made cookies and I went door to door and had great conversations with our neighbors. And multiple times our neighbors had said this, and this is not the ultimate goal, but this is, a, this is evidence that, okay, God, we're on the right track. Multiple neighbors had come to us and said, we are so glad you moved into our neighborhood. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Because they feel that there's some benefit for the Amstutz household being in their neighborhood. Other than the fact that when we have meetings, we fight for parking, and that's not a good thing. But they actually, we're a benefit. That should be true for all of us. That every single one of us in the neighborhood or the apartment complex that we live in should be a benefit to people around us. There should be a sense of peace and flourishing and shalom over us that touches the people around us. That if we're to move, they're like, no, stay. Because when you moved in the neighborhood, things changed. Things were better when you were here. Then there's a, a fifth thing. And that is, we're to truly live in and love our city. And this is where, this is gonna, where the, the rubber is going to kind of meet the road. Is that we need to live prayerfully. Because God says, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. No, you don't have to raise your hand. When was the last time you earnestly played, prayed for your city? You earnestly prayed for Simi Valley or for Moore Park or for Thousand Oaks or Fillmore or wherever you live. That you really sought God for the city and you prayed for people in the city and you prayed for the government and you prayed for schools and you prayed for people. Where, when was the last time? Was it last year? Do you recall last year we did a thing called Pray See Me? In fact, on your seats right now, when you came in, 
you haven't wadded it up and thrown it away yet. It's a thing called Pray See Me. Next to that, there's a little card called Pray for One. This is the tangible reality of how we actually engage our city prayerfully as God called his people to do thousands of years ago. We did this last year, and I'll be honest with you, with minimal participation. There are a number of people in our church who took this seriously and for six weeks did what we're going to do for the next six weeks. Prayed for different areas of our city. I'm praying for a greater participation by our church. So what you'll, you'll have a chance to read through this, but let me give you the, the, the overview of Pray See Me. Starting next Sunday, we have six weeks to Easter. In those six weeks are lined out six different areas of focused prayer in our city. And what I'm asking everyone in our church to do is to take that week, the focus, and to go find a place in the city that ties into that group of people and pray on site with insight. Don't go pray at your house. We're not going to have a prayer meeting at the church. You're going to go to the place where we pray for. So you can see, week one, city officials. Where's a good place to pray for city officials? City Hall. Find an hour during the week to go walk around City Hall and pray for our government, for city council, for the mayor, for the police chief, for everybody involved in the city and the way that our city functions. Pray for them. And there's a part of this in fast. Fast electronics or food or whatever it is that you know is a legitimate fast for you. And then follow the plan all the way through. When it's schools, last, last year I took five hours one day and drove to every single school in our city. And I stopped and I prayed. It was amazing to see. I, there were schools that I never knew we had buried in neighborhoods. Big schools, small schools. And it, it was great when I hit it recess time. I parked far enough away so I didn't think I was a stalker. <laughs> but to see the diversity in our city on the playground. It was awesome. It was amazing. There's a th second thing. You have a little card. In fact, the, the Young, our youth group, has been doing this. And that is to, to, to pray specifically, not just for our city, but for at least one person. And you see a list on there. It says friends, family, hurting, hard-hearted, strangers, seekers, enemies, allies. Write down one name of a person for the next six weeks you're going to pray for, that God's going to bless them, that God's going to touch them, that God's going to work in their life, that God's going to heal them, that God's going to do things in their life, and pray for that person every day to see what God might do. I've, I've been more recently tracking my prayers, not somehow putting them into some schematic that guarantees God's going to answer them, but sometimes we pray and we don't write down what we pray, and then when God answers it, we don't think he's answered it. I started a, a couple months ago writing down some things, and about three weeks later, I read it again. I'm like, whoa, four out of the five things I were praying for, God had already taken care of in my life and in the lives of other people. It was amazing writing those things down. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more of this at the conclusion of the message. So, sixth thing. How do I live in and love my city? Live presently. Look at the last part of verse 7 and verse to verse 9. For it is in the its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners um, uh, who are among you de deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. This is kind of strange. You're like, whoa, wait a second. God's telling me not to listen to a prophet. Doesn't that seem a little strange? So what was going on here is that there were a group of people that had come into exile as a part of Israel that were claimed as prophets, people who, who were speaking on behalf of God, and they were beginning to prophesy not on behalf of God, but on behalf of their own personal preference, which was this. We're not going to be Babylon for very long. So don't, don't get too excited don't worry about it we're only going to be here for a short period of time and then god's going to restore us back to our land that's what they were saying and god's saying that's a lie i'm not saying that to you in fact what he is saying was what 
70 years. That's a long time. So what are they hearing? They're hearing what they want to hear, which is, hey, it's a short period of time. No big deal. It's going to blow over. God's going to restore us back. So don't worry about Babylon. Don't worry about the city. Just hang on because it's really of a short period. So I don't need to worry about the context in why because God's taking us right back to Israel, right back to our land, right back to Jerusalem. That was a lie. You know what? This is, that's a similar lie that you and I believe in today. It's one of the dangerous, most dangerous lies in the church. And that is, when you get saved, you're convinced that this world has nothing for you. And I've heard that say so many times. This world has nothing for me, so I'm out of here. And we live that way. Do you realize that when Jesus returns, the second coming, and all things kind of come to fruition, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. If you read Revelation, you know what happens? Heaven comes down to what? Earth. In some context of what we live in right now. Yeah, are, is there evil in the world? Yes. Is God going to renew the earth? Yes. But the moment you come to know Jesus, you don't check out. You just don't check out. God's people can't check out. God has chosen for us to be the presence, uh, his presence on the planet until he returns. So we don't get to live in the bubble. We don't get to isolate ourselves. That's what we want to hear, though. We want to hear, oh, the world is evil, so I'm just going to do everything Christian. I'm not going to let my kids associate with anybody else. I'm not going to let them go play with the neighbor kids because they might have a bad influence on them, as though the goal of Christianity is moral purity. It's not. It's a byproduct. Moral purity is the byproduct of faith. It's not the goal. That was the goal of the law. How well did it work for the law? Didn't work very well. The goal is God. The goal is relationship with God and his transforming work in us. And so we have to see ourselves differently. Like, man, what did Pastor John have for breakfast this morning? <laughs> Transition your thinking in terms of the way you view the city that you live in. Change from living like a renter to living like an owner. It's a completely different mindset. I've done both. When you're a renter and you're in an apartment or you're in a house, there's a really good benefit, which is if something breaks, guess who has to fix it? The owner does, right? So there's a sense of like, I don't have to take full responsibility. Why? Because this doesn't belong to me. So when something over time wears out, I don't have to pay for it. The owner's responsible for it. So there's a bit of a disconnect in that you're not really owning it. You're just kind of using it for a little while, but it's not really yours to be responsible for. What happens when you're an owner? The opposite. You break it, you fix it. It breaks, you still fix it. Somebody else breaks it, you still fix it. Why? Because you own it. And when you own something, you look at it completely differently, don't you? You value it more. You care for it more. You're invested in it more. Why? Because it belongs to you. That's the shift I think God wants for the church. Stop living like a bunch of renters that are just doing time until Jesus comes back and start living like an owner that actually values the place that you live. And I'm not talking about housing. I'm talking about the city that we live in. You and I should own the city that we live in. And that means when our city suffers, we suffer too. When tragedy happens in our city, it isn't somebody else's problem. It's our problem too. When things aren't working right in the city, it's not the city government's responsibility. It's the church's responsibility too. That's what God means. Because we're not renters, we're owners. We're invested in our city. And that means when simple things like when you see a 
an ambulance going down the street. The other night, we were coming down LA Avenue, and literally three squad cars, lights blaring, I mean, sirens blaring, lights on, going to some call, and I almost wanted to turn around, but I thought, I don't want to get in the middle of that. And I started to pray, God, what's going on? Is there a person with a gun? Is there something happening somewhere in our town? Did somebody get food poisoning at the new Arby's? What is it? I don't know. They're all going that direction. But what's happening in my city? By the way, anybody go to Arby's? Wait a couple weeks. We went. It's kind of crazy. They're not quite ready for the crowd, so I didn't know the Arby's was such a big hit in our city. <laughs> Literally went by there on Friday night, 15 cars into LA Avenue. I'm like, forget this. Arby's is good, but I don't need it that bad, right? But what, what is it that's going on in our city? Do we feel that? There's a little thing called Nixle. If you don't have it, you can go online and find it. You need to subscribe to that. It'll give you emails and text messages to things going on in our city. Like when there's a lockdown at Royal High School because somebody walked on campus with what looks like a rifle, you need to know about that. As a Christian, you need to know about that. You need to be praying for that. You need to know what happens in our city. Why? Because we are owners. We're not renters. This is the place that God has called us. Then finally this, is that we are to live hopefully. So verses 10 through 24, we know verse 11 very well, but in that context, God says, listen, after 70 years, as you what? Build houses, plant gardens, have families, live your life, invest in the city. The welfare of the city is dependent on you. Your welfare will be drawn from its welfare. So be fully present, and then after 70 years, I will restore you. God's still present with him, but he says, after 70 years, which is a long time, don't worry about that. It's way in the future. You have hope for the future. This is not going to be your eternity, but be invested where you are. You can live, hopefully, with that reality. Thinking about that. Think about that if you want to prosper and you want to flourish, you can't do that apart from the city that you live in. That's the way God set it up. I don't think, I think this is something that goes way beyond Jeremiah 29. It's just, this wasn't thousands of years ago, that the God's people in a city will only flourish if the city flourishes. So if life isn't good for you, that means life's not good for the city. And life has to be good for the city first before life's good for you. So what is it that we need to change in our city? How do we need to view our city? Part of the, the hope of Pray See Me is one of the most important things that we can do is to see our city. We don't see our city. We drive the same streets and the same freeways and the same route all the time. We see the same houses and the same businesses and sometimes the same people and we lose sight of who we see. Because it's just routine. That's why I intentionally drive different ways in our city. That's why one of the best things for me was to drive around to go to all the schools in our city because I was in neighborhoods that I didn't even know existed in our city. I know John and Denise Looney are kind of going through this right now, but last year when Kim and I were looking for a house, same thing. I was like, I never knew this neighborhood was here. I didn't even know this house was here. It was amazing. It was kind of this educational process of actually knowing about the city that we live in. But we just kind of stay in our own little areas. And I think what the city is crying out for, what people in the city are crying out for, is saying to us, if you are a believer, you're a follower of Jesus, do you see me? No pun intended. <laughs> do you see me? Do you see what's going on in my life? Do you know what's happening to me? For most of us, we don't even know. We don't know what's happening in our neighbor's houses. We don't know what's happening in their lives. And God's placed you in the place that you lived for that purpose. We have a cute little family that lives across the street from us. They have two kids, three-year-old and a almost, well, about 10-month-old, eight-month-old. And the three-year-old is, she is so precious. She will talk your ear off. And so I always know when, when I'm out in the front yard, if she comes out of her house, I'm in for a conversation. 
and she, it's the cutest thing. She'll come out with her mom, and it's kind of like a, sometimes mom will be out getting the mail, and so they'll come out, and, and uh, I won't use her name, but we'll just call her Susie, okay? Susie comes out, and she stops, and she just stares at me. She's standing in her driveway, and she'll look at me, and if I'm mowing the lawn or whatever, I'll stop, and, and I'll look, and, and she's waiting, and she's waiting, and then she'll look at her mom, and this, uh, like this happens over and over again. She did, in fact, she did this with Courtney, with my daughter the other day, and she looks at mom because she wants to cross the street, and so she will. She'll kind of wait, and mom will kind of give her the nod. And it's so funny. She'll run halfway out across the street as she's going like this. Doesn't quite get the concept of waiting first. But she'll run across the street, and she'll give me a hug. And then she'll just stand there. And I, this is what she's looking at me and looking at my eyes to see, do I notice how beautiful she is? Do I notice what she's wearing? So she'll stand there, and she'll kind of like step back, and she always has little sparkly shoes on that have, you know, flashing lights on the bottom. And she'll have some, you know, matching T-shirt and whatever. Mom's dressed really nice. And so I always look and say, Susie, you look so cute today. And big old smile, big smile. And so she just loves to kind of hang out. So I was mowing one day, and so she came over, and we had about a five- or seven-minute conversation. I'm thinking, I really got to finish mowing. I got things to do. And she's still standing there. She runs across my lawn. There's some rocks up by her porch. She grabs a rock. She comes back, and she holds it out like, aren't you proud of me? I got a rock. And I looked at her, and I said, well, do you want to keep that rock? She's like, yeah. And mom's like, she loves rocks. I said, well, ask mom. And she yells across, mom, can I keep the rock? And she's like, yeah. So she's just standing there. She's looking at me, just looking at me. And I'm looking at mom like, <laughs> and finally, and she's like, okay. She goes, Susie, it's time for us to go. And then she, you know, crosses the street. It happens almost every week, if not multiple times a week. And I know exactly what she's doing. She's saying what her city's saying. She said, I'm coming across the street because I'm asking you a question without asking you a question. The question is, do you see me? Do you see what I'm wearing? Do you see my rock? Do you see my brother? Do you, I mean, all, do you see me? That's all she's wanting is the validation that I actually see who she is. That's the city that we live in. Do we see the people that we pass every single day? And I've talked about this. Do I see the crossing guard at, at a street that I, when I go running, that's there? And yes, I do. And I started to cross the street to make sure I encountered the crossing guard and talked to her every single morning. Why? Do I see people in my city? God has placed you where you are for a reason, not because you chose it, because he chose it for you. And I am praying that as a church, we awaken to the reality of our city, that there will be a day where our city will be grateful for the fact that Christians live here. That they will look at the church and say, thank God that I don't even know that the church is present because the church being present makes our city better. Across the board, even people who don't like the church, even people who are against God would actually look and say, you know what, if I have to admit it, I'm glad that the church is here. I'm glad that that Christian lives across the street from me. Why? Because as the city goes, so we go. So in the next six weeks together, let me give you three things as a part of your homework. And then we're going to sing one last song together. I'm calling us to love our city practically. One of the practical ways to love our city is if you are not engaged in a community group that has a focus in mission, you need to find your way into that. Our community groups do things in our city to benefit the city. If you're not doing that, then you're missing out on the part of the fact that you actually embrace the good news of the gospel, but you are not being the good news in our city. God wants us to be good news. 
who wants the church to be that. Second thing is loving our city personally, which is the Pray for One card. Pick somebody in the city and start praying for them. It could be somebody you don't even know. It could be a city official that you start praying for and continue to pray for them faithfully. And then the last thing is loving our city prayerfully, which is pray see me. I know our schedules are busy, but I've discovered in my life I always have time to do what I value. At the end of the day, nobody holds a gun to my head and says, you can and cannot do this. I make the choice in my life what I want to do with my time. And I'm asking you over the next six weeks, value a time of prayer each week where you're praying on site with insight. I know work schedules are crazy. It may be from 9 to 10 o'clock at night. It may be early. It may be 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. I don't know. Find that time in your schedule to do this. Why? Because I'm convinced not only is it beneficial for our city that we pray for our city, but it's beneficial for us that we actually see our city, to start to see it differently than what we had before. This is not just the place that we happen to live. It's the place that God has called us to be so that it can flourish as we experience God's shalom and flourishing in our life. So would you pray with me as the worship team comes and joins us to sing one last song? In fact, with your eyes closed, I'm going to encourage you in this. So many times when it comes to engaging the city that we live in, we can come up with a lot of excuses like, I'm too busy, or I work outside the city, or actually, if we're honest, we could say, I'm afraid. I'm afraid to engage people in my neighborhood. I'm afraid to to talk to people in a restaurant. I'm afraid. I'm, I'm afraid that, that I'm going to say the wrong thing. I'm, I'm going to look like an idiot. Or, or the other extreme, I, I, have, I have to say the right thing because I have to lead them to Jesus. And the beautiful thing is Jesus leads people to Jesus through people. You don't have to lead people to Jesus. You just have to be Jesus and let them ask the question. So with all those things in your mind, in your head, what God is calling us to, to be is to be present, to be a presence in our city for the benefit of our city. And this is the beauty of the way God works. God is with us. He lives in us. He walks with us. He's present in our thoughts, in our minds, in our homes, in our apartments, in our cars, in our jobs, in our relationships. He is with us. In fact, he's made that promise. He will never leave. He will never forsake. He is always with his people. But there's a question I believe that God is asking us today that I heard earlier in prayer. As God reminded me that he is with us, he asked the question, but are you with me? Not in a a condemning, judgmental way, but the question comes as Jesus walks with us. Eventually what happens is we no longer walk the way that we want to walk we walk the way that he wants us to walk so in a sense it switches from him being with us and somehow blessing our plans to we are with him now and now we are involved with what he's already blessing in our lives and in our city so today God is calling us and asking us are you with me are you with me in the city do you love the city will you value the city Lord Jesus we pray that you would move on our hearts today, that you would, you would allow us to see the city that we live in, the people around us are people that you love. You love them as much as you love us. In fact, Lord, your love doesn't change. You don't love more or less. You love. And so, Lord, I pray for us that we would love the way that you love, 
we would love people the way that you have loved us, that while we were still sinners, you died for us. Through your great mercy, you made us alive. So Lord, before people even can acknowledge your existence, we want to demonstrate your love for them in praying for them and engaging them and being a presence in our city that benefits our city. So Lord, would you do that and remind us, Lord, that you are with us wherever we go. That ultimately, Lord, what we're going to sing in a moment, that your blood was shed for every moment of our lives. And that we would live with that reality as we engage our city, as we love our city. We thank you, Jesus.